Hello everyone, Merry Christmas. It is wonderful to see you all out on this wonderful evening. Uh, We were going to spend a few minutes today in the Word of God as we revisit this Christmas story. My name is Daniel. I am uh, the lead pastor here at Emmanuel Church, and we are just so pleased that you guys are here with us. So as we begin, the question I have for you is this. What if God appeared in this world today, in modern times, right now, do you think that you would recognize his coming? Do you think that you would realize that he actually was here, even if it happened right down the street from you, or would you miss it? Could you just entertain just for a minute the notion that just maybe if Jesus walked the earth today or that if he was born on this world today that some of you, uh, that you may come at some point to be looking at him straight in the eyes and you may not even realize that it's him, that you may miss his coming entirely because maybe you were expecting Jesus to come a different way, maybe be somebody or something else. And when he is standing right in front of you, that you would miss him. What about Jesus' work in this world? Do you think it is possible that he could be at work right now in your own life and you were missing it? Could it be that he is at work in some very unexpected people in your life and you were missing it? Or could it be that he is at work in a very unexpected place in your life right now? that you're missing it because you were looking somewhere else. In brief, we are going to look how the Christmas story shows us that we should expect the unexpected work of God. Through his unexpected work in our lives, a little roadmap for the next few minutes, uh, his unexpected work in our lives through unexpected people and also in unexpected places. So as we know, this story of Christmas began 2,000 or so years ago, a young teenage girl, probably no more than 14 or 15 years old, living in a town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee, today in northern Israel. We know her name is Mary. She was betrothed to Joseph. The only claim to fame that any of them had was Joseph. He was a distant descendant of King David, who lived many, many centuries before him. So as the story goes, Gabriel shows up to Mary, tells her that she's about to be pregnant supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. This is how it reads in Luke chapter 1. It says, you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The first thing we learn in this story is that often God's work in our lives happens in unexpected ways. And often you and I are in danger of missing it because if we're honest, we don't have Gabriel showing up to tell us what exactly is going on, right? And to explain what exactly is happening to us like Mary had the privilege of. The common theme we're going to see this evening is that God's work in our lives is always going to have uh, the, the, the nature of his work will always have the effect of humbling us and not bringing glory to ourself, but bringing all glory to him. It will always leave us, like it did for Mary, in a position of accepting his will, maybe not our own, 
It will leave you unable to boast in anything in your own flesh and rather boast only in Jesus and only in his work and only in knowing Jesus. Mary's supernatural pregnancy was not her work. And so when Jesus works in unexpected ways and God works in unexpected ways, it does leave us feeling sometimes small and humbled. He might just be working in your life right now in such a way that has a result of humbling you in order that you will finally learn that you have nothing to boast in yourself but only in him. The Apostle Paul said that whenever we are weak, then the strength of God can finally take control within us and we become strong. Jesus said that whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is in Matthew 23. So I'm making the claim this, this evening that to find God's work in your life, look in the places where he might be trying to humble you. Because as we will see, God's work, as you see in this scene behind us here, it led him to a manger and ultimately to the cross. That is the wisdom of God's work and also the ways of God's work and it's upside down from how we normally would expect the great and glorious and mighty and majestic God of this universe to work. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, beginning. It says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brother, think of, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. He's speaking to this church in Corinth. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And secondly, we see that the work of God sometimes comes through unexpected people. This story, there's a lot of wild things that happen that we're so, you know, maybe so overly familiar, maybe that we really just, I want to tell this story and really think about, you know, hearing this for the first time or just reading it like what it really is. It's a crazy thing. After Mary gives birth to Jesus, some very interesting people just show up right in Bethlehem to where her and Joseph are that share some amazing stories of how, you know, God was working and revealed himself to them. And they had some stuff to tell Mary to begin with. Quite possibly, on the very day or very soon after he was born, we aren't quite exactly sure, but in some distance away from Bethlehem where Jesus was born, there were some just dirty, smelly shepherds outdoors working the midnight shift, just regular old kind of Joe Schmoes just taking care of sheep in the field. We don't know their names. We don't know nothing about them. They were just normal people just working a hard night's work and as they're sitting in this field, I want you to just picture what this would have been like. You're just tending your sheep like you have hundreds of days before, hundreds of times before, and one of them just looks over, and there's this angel just standing next to them, right? It just is there. And, the, and, and it says after the angel is there, it says the glory of the Lord shone about them. Not a lot of explanation what the glory of the Lord that shone about them was. We may think of these, you know, like magical, almost like a scene of like, wow, what's it been, must have been really amazing. It's just so cool to see. And just, it wasn't really like that because the actual result was, it said that they were 
absolutely terrified. <laughs> like they were scared to death of what they were looking at, okay? And that's really the glory of God. It's, it's beautiful, but it's kind of terrifying in some ways. Many people who found themselves in visions either in heaven or when angel shows up, the first thing they do is they drop dead, like feeling like they're about to die. Like, I'm dead. This is it. Nothing, I got nothing left after this. This is going to take me out. This angel's going to take me out. Like, this is a common kind of response. And these shepherds were terrified, right? And, and the angel says, like, it's okay. Like, fear not. He says, listen carefully, for I proclaim to you these nobody shepherds, okay, good news that brings great joy to all the people. For today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. The angel proceeded to tell them that the sign of this child was that he would be wrapped in cloth, laying down in a manger, a, a feeding trough for animals. Probably not many babies laying in a feeding trough, okay? So he'll probably be able to figure it out when he finds the baby. And then before he knew it, suddenly, it just says suddenly, like there was an angel talking, and then the entire sky just lights up, and it's filled with the host's of heaven. The word host is actually an old military word. The idea is that this is God's army, but if you look in the actual original language, it's not just one army, it's his vast multiple angelic armies, like all of them shows up, okay? Now you would think, okay, that, well, well, when they show up in, this, in the sky and these shepherds as part of sitting there and saying like, what is, what is going on? Like, who am I? Who are we to, like, there's nobody else here. Like, anybody else seeing this? There's like three of us. You got this angel, these angels are putting on this show for just a couple of shepherds? This is a really interesting story if you think about this, right? And, and the sky is filled, and it doesn't say that the angels sung, but you can't help but think they did sing this line which says, glory to God in the highest. These infinite number of angelic armies in the sky, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom, with whom he is pleased. And then they're gone, right? And you would almost wish, like, hey, God, it'd have been really cool if you did that over, say, I don't know, Jerusalem, where there's a lot more people, a lot more, I don't know, like important people, like the king, you know, and his nobles and the chief priests and just a lot of people. That'd have been really cool to, like, happen over New York City or something, not in nowhere where there's, like, three people for an audience, right? This was an unexpected work of God. So the shepherds, they go and they find Mary. These just, they're probably just dirty and smell like, you know, dirty animals. And they run up and they find Mary. They find the child, Jesus, and they told them everything. Later on, we'll go into more detail in a minute in the story. It's not just the shepherds that had a visitation that was really fascinating, but one day Mary and Joseph had a little, you know, knock on the door and these foreigners show up. What we think you know, they were called magi in Scripture. We think either from Arabia, maybe from modern-day Iran, but they show up. We can imagine just dressed in garb that was not common to Israel, not even common to much of the Roman Empire. They're coming with elaborate gifts. There wasn't just three magi. There was probably a whole crew of them, and they think that because of the distance, this could have been a two-year journey just to find this child. Expensive, costly journey. And they show up and they said, hey, there's this, and these are uh, ancient astrologers, like they look for signs of the times in the sky and the stars, right? They show up, they say, hey, we've been following this baby's star for some time. 
looking for the king of the Jews, and, and we've, we found him, and these gifts are for him. And you just got to think, like, what is Mary thinking at this point? Like, what is going on? Like, this is, what are you telling me? Who are you? Where did you come from? Star? What are you talking about? Like, this is, these are unexpected ways in which God works. He often works through unexpected people. Maybe you're sitting here feeling like you're just a regular old Joe Schmo. Like, what could I possibly have to offer to the work of God in this world? What could I, of all people, possibly have that, that, that God could do through me? Well, if God chose these nobody shepherds to reveal to him these angelic hosts, God's armies, plural, like, I don't know, all of them in the sky, to sing the glory of God and sing his praises to just a few little shepherds, maybe, just maybe, as this Christmas story shows us, you, of all people, God does have something amazing planned for you, some work prepared before even the ages began to bring to fulfillment in your life, to bring to fruition in your life. There's a reason, friends, that you're here in this room. I don't know, somebody might drug you here against your will. It's like, okay, I'm here. Or maybe you come, you know, you're here sometimes, you're here every week, you're here off and on. I don't, you know, I, I'm not quite sure with all of you in this room, but there's a reason why you're here in these four walls, four walls on such a sacred night as Christmas Eve. And I would venture to say that God wanted you here. And he's here. He's trying to tell you, like, I got, I got some stuff for you here. I love you. I want you to be in my family, and I have plans for you, right? And then also, sometimes God works through unexpected people in our lives, like children. Just yesterday, I had a sweet little moment with my six-year-old that I just felt like just seeing his sweetness and just cuddling up with me. And you know, I was trying to do some sermon prep from home and working from home with six children is almost never as becomes work from home. It, you know, becomes kill children all over me and climbing in my face and my shoulders and everything. And so, you know, but he called, he went in the basement. I was downstairs sermon prepping and he just kind of cuddles up next to me. He says, I love you, daddy. And I'm like, I'm love being with you and all, you know, these little sweet little words. And, and I just found myself listening, just being thankful for this six-year-old kid. And I found God saying, be thankful for the small things. I realized I, God just was speaking to me through my six-year-old. And my first instance was, was to be annoyed, but now I find myself thankful, right? Unexpected child that God can use to speak through us. Who is that person and those people in your life that you don't really want to listen to, maybe you're just kind of annoyed by, or that one coworker or this or that? You, you just never know when God might be on the move for the people around you, and maybe in humility and with a, a spirit of, of learning that we can treat people with dignity, with open ears, to hear what they may have to say, listen to their stories. There's something to learn. Maybe God has those people in your life for a reason. And thirdly here, it says God works in unexpected places. When the Magi were tracking Jesus' star and they knew that they were looking for a king, they first stopped where they thought a king would be, right? If, if, if you went to a country and you heard and you, you know, a king was born, well, where do kings live? In cities, like in the capital, in the palace. Like, all right, so the, where does the Magi go first? They go to Jerusalem, where the king actually lived at the time, King Herod. And they knock on King Herod's door and say, hey, the king of the Jews has been born. Do you know where he's at? <laughs> and you think of Herod would be like, say what? I thought I was the king. What are you talking about? Who's this 
other king. You can read how that story goes. The Magi were, I think, it doesn't say they were humbled, but I think they were humble because they realized, oh, we, we got the wrong place, right? And they searched the scriptures. They found that the Messiah that was to come would be born not in Jerusalem, not in the place in the palace of a king, but in a little old town of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is obviously famous globally today, but in that day and age, it was... Uh, not very famous. They had one claim to fame, which was that King David, some centuries prior, had been born there. Now, I was born in Noonan, Georgia. None of you know where Noonan, Georgia is, but do you know who Alan Jackson is? Anybody? Little country fans? Alan Jackson? Alan Jackson was born in Noonan, Georgia. And guess what Noonan, Georgia has to brag about? That's it. Like, there's nothing else there. So we paint Alan Jackson's picture all over the downtown Noonan because there's nothing else to paint on the walls to brag about. And that was like, kind of like Bethlehem. There was nothing going on there except, well, Many, many, like hundreds of years ago, David was born here. That's really cool, you know. They think that Bethlehem is the size of a Walmart parking lot. I mean, this was literally a tiny little village almost. It was just, there's nothing going on there except the Son of God was born there. Now, I think sometimes that because God works in those unexpected places that we're preoccupied looking for him in places where we may expect him to be, in the other kind of Jerusalems, maybe in our own nation, we think of the big cities or Washington, D.C., and we look at the news headlines, look at the big kind of explosive kind of things that grab our attention. We're trying to look for, you know, where's God working over there when all around us we live in neighborhoods and in communities and in the city here where there's people surrounded by us, and that's kind of like our Bethlehem. And sometimes we're just so distracted looking over you know, on the screens of news headlines we're missing that God has worked for us to do in our own little Bethlehem, that he's active right now in this little Bethlehem that we live in and your neighborhoods, that he has work for you to do there, that he's active there. And my question is, are you paying attention to that, right? Are you spending enough time with your neighbors to see, is he working in their lives? Has he called you to be his ambassador in their lives? Your neighborhood may not be anywhere important. There'll probably not be news articles written about where you live and be world headlines. Like, I know, it may not be glamorous work, and neither was Bethlehem. But I think God is trying to communicate something to us, right? That he showed up in such a humble and quiet place, because that's how God is. If he is a humble God, he will do humble things, and that will bring us also in humility and cause us to look in those more quiet places for his work. And lastly, the whole story, as we close here, it speaks of the unexpected work of God in this world. I know our light's off, but we have a little manger scene behind us that you saw earlier, and I... I was kind of just blown away this week. All right, I have, I mentioned earlier, I have six children. I went to all of their births. And um, if you've been to a birth, I won't be, you know, graphic here, but it's not the most glorious event that's, um, you know, worthy of, you know, it, you know get, hiring a sculpture to say, can you, you know, sculpt the scene for me? Like, you know, let me get a picture of, you know, the woman just sweating and yelling and in pain and, you know, just wriggling and just, you know, crying and the husband sitting helpless in the corner thinking, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to sit here. And, you know, here's a picture. Can you sculpt that for me and make a little scene so we can put it in our fire, like on our mantles? Because it's amazing, right? Like, that's not really, if, if you want to have an origin story for a faith, 
right? So some people say Christianity is made up and et cetera and so forth. Okay, fine. Well, if you want to make something up, that is not the right origin story, friends. That's not how, uh, you know, you think of uh, when nations identify their origin stories, like in ours, our Revolutionary War, you've seen the painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware River. He's puffed up, you know, he looks, you know, strong and tall and handsome and his soldiers are behind him and he's on a boat, you know, like that's what we expect of an origin story, right? That's what we expect, not a birth scene, right? I mean, a baby is the most helpless. We've all been babies and you've all seen babies. They're utterly helpless, and as the mom has finished giving birth, she also is almost helpless. Like she's, every square inch of energy is just zapped out of her. She is exhausted, ever so thankful to hold her baby. And all the baby can do is scream if it needs anything. It can't, can't talk. It can't really move even on its own. It's just there. If it's hungry, it goes, ah, until it's not hungry anymore. And then just sleeps all day. Like none of this is, is a really, it's glorious in its own way, right? But it's the humble kind of glorious It's the quiet kind of glorious. And I think that God is trying to communicate something to us that says, that's how I chose to enter into this world, to become a child. In that quiet, humble little town of Bethlehem. And we celebrate that, right? In our world that just is obsessed with power and obsessed with being people of influence and seeing all these big grand events and this and that. And Christianity is propping up a birth scene that says, look how glorious this is. This is our God. He came as a baby. And that's what sets Christianity so unique and apart from the rest. Because I believe that God, as he calls us to be like Christ, to follow in the ways that Christ lived, I think he's calling us to also be people of the manger. That if we have anything to boast in, it is only in the glory of God as shown in the face of Jesus Christ that he has brought us to the point where we also feel as weak and as humbled as just a child before him. And we are willing to subject ourselves just as a child subjects himself to his or her mother to say, I need you for everything. I can't do anything on my own. God, I feel helpless and I need you in every single way. And he says, yes, that's where I want you. I want you to feel that small so you can only see how big I am. And Jesus says, yes, I know how it feels to be young and be a child and be helpless in this world. I know I was, I was like that too. I want you to be in that place. It's where God wants you to be in that place. And Jesus' life continue on. That kind of humility didn't stop there because his death was also one of complete and utter humiliation, public humiliation. Shame as he was nailed to the cross. Unlike our movies and our pictures, he would have been stripped naked as he hung there. And as he died for our sins, as he achieved our salvation on our behalf, he once again was humiliated and shamed, an unexpected salvation. And as we close the work of God, through that first Christmas story, as we see, it was all quite unexpected. He used unexpected people, worked in unexpected ways, and unexpected places to bring about unexpected means of our salvation through the Son of God, the Savior of this world. His coming into this world through all of these unexpected means, it really challenges us how we think and how we perceive the world, our interactions as Christians with the world, 
and all of our Christian living because it, all of it illuminates the love and the humility of God up and against the arrogance and the pride and the hubris that we often see in our fallen world. This we see in Romans chapter 5, the way of Christ is this. For while we are still weak, what did Christ do? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By such love and humility and grace did Jesus illuminate this dark world through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, accomplishing our salvation on his behalf. It is all unexpected because it's mostly the opposite of ways that we see lived in this world and we are even called to live in this world. The question that lies before us this Christmas, the challenge of the manger is this, are we, as Jesus' followers, giving off the same light to those around us? The manger teaches us how to see God's work in our lives by looking in those quiet places and those humble places, and it hearkens us to share and the humility and the grace that we find there. So at this time, we're going to dim our lights. And as we do so, get prepared here. I will read of a prophecy of Jesus that was found in Isaiah chapter 9. It says this. A people walking in a land of deep darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. Jesus himself said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus himself is the light, his ways, his love, and his grace illuminating all around him the beams of his magnificent brilliance. And in the fallen world, this light is always found in those unexpected dark corners to provide hope for us who are wayward. The psalmist said that in his light do we see light. And as I light this candle from the Jesus candle itself and not trip on stairs here in the dark, we're going to have two more songs as we close our service. I'm going to call up our, our candle lighter helpers to come forward at this time. Lighting this candle from the Jesus candle symbolically says that we're going to carry his light in us throughout this room and also throughout our lives. And the question is, are you shining the light, the humble, gracious, and loving light of Christ in your life? And as we, as we light these candles, as we sing this song, I want to challenge you to pray this. Okay, I want to challenge you as we're singing these songs, these last two songs, to pray this prayer to say, Lord, would you open my eyes to your work in my life? Would you humble me to see your hand in my life and the places where I am missing it? But Lord, as I become more aware of your work in my life, as I become more aware of your hand in my own life, help me to give you all of myself in order that your light may so fill me that my light that shines out of me becomes your very light. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this story of Christmas, Lord. It humbles us. 
It makes us realize how glorious and amazing you truly are and how small we are, Lord. But Lord, in you are we strong. In you do we truly discover who we are. So Lord, I pray that this story of Christmas that we're so familiar with would not leave us the same, but Lord, we would take it to heart. Take your humility to heart. And Lord, may it change us from the inside out that as we leave this place tonight, as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow morning, that we are bringing your light with us to a world, to a dark world that so desperately needs it. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.